Hello. What's up? What's up, man? How's it going? Oh, it's going good. It's going good. All right. Well, first of all, let's do the official welcome inside the crazy ant farm, man. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm I'm thrilled. I've been a huge fan since the Buffy days, man. So this this is an exciting one for me. I I was so happy when you said you'd do it, man. Oh, uh, I really appreciate it, and I I love all your positive tweets. Um, it's uh, you know, I read those things, and they, it makes me feel good, and you know, uh, particularly around proven innocence and Rebel in the Rye, and you know, it's it's uh, it's it's neat to have that kind of support. So. Um, just, just so you know, those, those things uh, affect people. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, man, and it's one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on the show because we've been blessed to have a lot of guests on the show who are like yourself, who do interact with the fans and who are kind and pay attention to what they do, and I, I think that's something really special, you know. Uh, and, and I think the fans, on the flip side, appreciate it as much as you guys appreciate it. So I, I think there's something to be said for that. And um, yeah, you're very welcome for proving innocent, man. Look, I was upset. You guys did not get a second season. Yeah. Um, huge fan of that show. I just feel like it's we're in an age. Bracket. Yeah, it is. I just and we're in that age, man, where I where I feel like you don't get a chance to build an audience, you know. And, and yeah, it's it, it was tough, but I loved it. Phenomenal cast and and great show. So glad you brought that up. Yeah, thanks. No, it was a uh, it was a uh, um, yeah. You know, I thought a really neat way to do a network legal drama. And to do it, uh, you know, surrounding the Innocence Project and uh, um, wrongful conviction to really take that sort of very fun mainstream genre and to infuse uh, that kind of subject matter into it in a way where it wasn't, you know, medicine that was good for you. It made the show even more exciting and dynamic. So um, I was uh, I was proud of it and disappointed it uh, didn't have a longer run. But, uh, you know, you can't win them all. No, you can't. And, you know, at least you had the opportunity to wrap it up successfully, which was, was good for the fans. I got to tell you, my favorite part uh, is Nikki's uh, <laughs> doing the podcast every week, you know, kind of doing the narration of it. Fantastic, man. Just fantastic. Yeah, that was a, that was a great device, you know. That David Elliott, the creator of the show, came up with that uh, to do, you know, to frame the show within a podcast. And I thought it was so clever uh, because you could really sort of hammer home, you know, the themes and the ideas and the issues in a way that that it was organic, that tied the episodes up um, in a powerful way. I thought it was a very very clever uh, narrative device he uh, he came up with. Absolutely, absolutely. So listen, we've got a lot of really happy fans right now because we've got a huge base of Gilmore Girls fans, Buffy fans. I mean, you've been Mad Men. You've been on some some major shows, my friend. Some major shows. Sure. So, sure, and sure. I I gotta tell you, Billions. I'm loving Billions. That scene with you at the urinal, I just it, I still crack up every time I see it, man. That was hilarious. Uh, thanks, thanks. Was, you know, it's funny when we shot it. Um, David Levine, the co-creator. Uh, I said, hey, man, he doesn't look taller than me in this shot, does he? <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that if, he, if it is. And David went, no, no, no. See, the camera, it evens you guys out. It makes it makes everything even. I'm like, okay, okay, we can get to it. It's fine. 
That is hilarious. That is hilarious. So obviously we want to talk about, because Emmy winner, Golden Globe winner, you're not just an actor, writer, producer, director, phenomenally so at at each of them, uh, if we do say so ourselves. Um, Just a brilliant guy. And we've got some writers in our bunch who are very curious and have some questions. And we've got a lot of people trying to break into the industry too. So we kind of want to talk to you about that and what it was like to get started and how the whole writing thing came along. Uh, Logan, what you got? I know you got a question. Yeah, what was your biggest challenges as a young writer? You know, the challenges, I mean, they're challenges. They're sort of endless. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the script. Yeah. So the script is everything. And you just need to write a lot of scripts to get good at writing scripts. Mm-hmm. So you need to just keep doing it and, and not treat, not not go write a script and then say, I'm going to now dedicate the next 15 years of my life getting this one script made. Right. Um, you know, once you finish your first script, then set it down, uh, go have a drink. If you don't drink, go have a nice meal, wake up the next day and then start your next one. Right. You know, Definitely. And, then, and, then, and then write one after that. So, it's it's really about it's it's a it's you know writing begets getting better at it is just from doing it and from rewriting and, and you learn so much. Um, I for me I view every note session that I have uh, with with my producers or my executives mm-hmm. as as a film school for me because I'm going to learn subconsciously how to do things better by getting feedback and notes on what isn't working for people. Mm-hmm. That's that's very interesting. I, I love that approach. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw a quote too where you had some advice for advanced writers that because you do hear so often, write what you know, write what you know, write what you know. But I saw a great thing where you said, write what you have a passion for, even if you don't know about it or aren't skilled in it. Be, and I think, is that true? Is that an accurate quote? And Because that's a great piece of advice, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think write what you know is advice to give to an amateur. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're a lawyer and you want to write your first novel and that's all you want to do is write a novel, you always want to write a novel, then go write a legal novel, you know? Right. Um, but a professional writer who writes every day, who is, and, and to me that's what makes someone a professional writer, not whether they're getting paid, but whether they write every day. Because um, I wrote for seven years before I got paid for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, several years into those seven years, uh, I viewed myself as a professional writer because I'd been writing scripts for four years and I was doing it all the time. Um, so uh, I think if for a professional writer, you you don't necessarily have to write, quote, what you know, but write what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. I mean, I've, um, I've written projects that have been, you know, very, very successful and I knew nothing about the subject matter before I started writing them. Mm-hmm. Literally, literally nothing. Because, uh, and there's this thing that you can do and it's called research. <laughs> yes, exactly. You research, and then you you can talk to people that do it. You know, and, absolutely. And, uh, and then you can really dive into it. And, and often, the way I pick my projects are things that are because uh, I know it's going to go on for a long time. Um, that that I'll be writing on this thing for who knows how long, anywhere from six months to multiple years. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So. Often it'll be, um, I'll just, part of my thought process will be, well, 
you know, am I going to enjoy working on this for several years? Is this right. going to be interesting to me? Uh, as far you know what it's about, am I going to? Uh, so, so the point being that if if nothing ever comes of it, because often nothing does, will those years or months working on it have been time well spent? Right. And I remember when I wrote my first. Uh, drama, which was the movie Recount, mm-hmm. um, the idea that I was ever going to sell it was totally insane, and I knew that. I knew that that was pretty much impossible for a writer who had never sold anything to sell a political drama. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, even if I never sell it, it's going to be time well spent right. researching this because then I'll know a lot about the Florida Recount, and that's going to be really interesting to me. Definitely. So is that simple, right? Is that it's just a very simple thought of, I, of well, you know, I love it. What the hell? Let's do it. I absolutely love it. I love that approach. I love everything you said. And now on the flip side of that, we hear that from a lot of our actor guests all the time too. It's it's 90% auditioning, only 10% actually working. And I feel like it's the same thing with the writer. You're writing constantly, whether you're getting paid for it or not. And I, I think that's brilliant advice and a great strategy. And by the way, Recount, phenomenal. Uh, same with Game Change. Uh, I'm a political junkie, so I loved both. Uh, I thought oh, they were fantastic. So, so and okay, I, a couple of movies we definitely, I know Logan is jumping at the bit to get to with the butler <laughs> huge yes. oprah fans were huge oprah fans um and obviously rebel in the rye was how about that one was that a passion project for you how, how did that one come about because I, I know there was a lot that went into getting that movie made correct yeah no that was that's the most personal thing i've ever worked on um without a doubt mm-hmm. in fact most things i've written aren't personal at all um, as far as they don't have anything to do with my life. There are things that I'm angry about or things I want to discuss or social issues I want to shine a light on, but they, they're, I actually haven't lived it at all. And, and Rebel in the Ride, the reason why I wanted to direct it when I came up with the idea of doing the film was um, I wanted to direct it because I thought, oh, well, this is, this is actually very personal. This is about the writing process mm-hmm. and the creative journey and the birth of an artist. And to me, the story of Salinger, you know, I don't view that movie as a biopic. Uh, I view it as a tale of the artist's journey. Um, so when people would call it a biopic, I just, I thought, no, it's not a biopic. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the story of how he wrote Catcher in the Rye and in telling that story and then what the book did to him uh, after it came out. And in right. telling that story, it's telling this universal story of the birth of an artist. And, and what that journey is. And, you know, when we screened this at the Writers Guild, um, it played like gangbusters because they immediately knew that's what it was. Yeah. And it, what I really liked about it, because I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with, with the stuff, they just think this guy was a hermit, a recluse from right. the get-go. And it, but he had a life, and he had a lot going into what led to him writing that book. And I think you do a yeah. great job of showing that in, in the film. Yeah, he was a creature of New York City. He was this exactly. charismatic, you know, I mean, sort of rich kid. I mean, he was us, New York City, Upper East Side, mm-hmm. going to the store club, hitting on girls, uh, yep. wanting to be a writer. The work was very young and, and juvenile, but there was an interesting voice there. Uh, and then he goes to World War II and has severe PTSD. Um and, and from that PTSD, he creates one of the most iconic novels of all time about a troubled teenager. Yep. Uh, and I found that story, when I read this biography on him, I didn't know any of that. And I was so 
moved by that, that Holden Caulfield was the creation of someone who had seen the darkest horrors of war uh, and had clearly, in my opinion, undiagnosed PTSD. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's ultimately what what led him to New Hampshire, what led him to isolation, um, and what led him to writing for the rest of his life and never showing anyone the writing. I mean, that's very uh, therapeutic. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and he doesn't want to show anyone the writing because that fucks up the therapy. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, that's, that's not the point anymore. The point is not is, is not for anyone to read it. The point is to, to, to you know, in, in some ways, you know, calm, calm, calm a, a troubled mind who doesn't even know that the mind is troubled in a way. Yep. You know, and you look at his diet and the way he ate and mm-hmm. the meditation and all of that, uh, to me, screams someone uh, trying to cure their, their you know, uh, uh, deeply troubled mind. Um, and, and they didn't even know about PTSD, basically, until right. the Vietnam era. Exactly. Um, and, and once they started, you know, diagnosing it, I mean, it, it was it was incredibly impactful for, for people. They instantly re- related to, yes, this is, this is what's going on. Absolutely, and I, I got to tell you, you could not have picked a better lead. I thought Nicholas Holt just nailed it. I, yeah. A phenomenal yeah. job. Um, it, and we got to give a shout out to Amy Rutberg, who plays Betsy Hopkins. Uh, we've had Amy on on the show before. She was a fantastic guest. Love her. She had nothing but kind words to say about you as well. So um, oh, I love Amy. We go way back. You know, I've known Amy since she was twenty years old. Oh wow! And I remember her running an audition with me. Um, uh, you know, you practice your auditions with other actors, right? right? And she was, and so she was running her audition. She was 20 years old, and I thought, oh my god, she's amazing! I just instantly knew how talented she was, mm-hmm. and um, I'm so thrilled to see that she's still working and thriving and has done so well over the years. I think she's, uh, I think she's, she's a, a great actress and is going to keep, uh, keep working. We agree, and we would love to see you guys do something together. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, she was in Recount. Yep, she yep. was in Rebel in the Rye. Yep. Um, tried to get her an Empire once, but... Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, that would have been epic, yeah. honestly. It didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, we I can say uh, she she echoed every sentiment. Yeah. Just spoke almost the same exact wording towards you. She thinks you're phenomenal and and has loved working with you and is happy to see you doing what you're doing. So it, it's uh, nice to hear. I, I mean, stuff like that. Okay, I know. I know. Logan is jumping at the bed. The butler. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. How do you go about of getting in contact with the one and only Oprah? How does that even happen? <laughs> I just called her. I'm like, Oprah. <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, I had nothing to do with getting Oprah. It was all Lee Daniels. So ah. Oprah produced Precious. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And yep. Lee direct, you know, directed the butler and, um, and got her the script. And I have to say, when I heard she wanted to do it, I thought, oh, I think this movie's going to get made. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I didn't know if it was ever going to get made. And, um, and um, it was, uh, it was that that, that, I mean, that specific phone call mm-hmm. was the moment of oh wow this could actually happen because <laughs> uh, it's a really ambitious project you know right. oh absolutely after, after the movies get made 
there's a sense that, well, of course it got made, mm-hmm. right? Right. But when you're in the middle of it, it's the opposite. It's actually, this is never going to get made. Right, like, oh, this shit. This is never going to happen. They all feel like they're never going to happen. <laughs> uh, and, and it's the amount of work and the willing them into existence is pretty staggering, actually. Um, and that one was so... You know, it was, it was, you know, the story of a White House butler mm-hmm. uh, over, you know, 40 years. Right. Uh, and in doing, telling that story, it was really the story of the history of the civil rights movement in America. Yep. You know, the, the concept for me was slavery to Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it opened in the in the fields, even though it wasn't technically slave, slavery. It felt like it, though, right? It, you know, right, it is, exactly. It feels like slavery still exists, even though it's the 20s. Um and and it was and it was yeah slavery go to Obama so I'm I'm really proud of that script it's the most complicated thing I've ever written um, to you know to maintain dramatic tension over a forty year period absolutely uh, and to tell a, a cohesive story that has a spine with a character arc um, uh, is is very very challenging and uh, I you know I had great collaborators you know Laura Ziskin. It was this iconic producer. Mm-hmm. Um, she passed away before we made it, but mm-hmm. she, you know, working with her on this was really. Um, she was a huge part, a huge, you know, uh, you know, cheerleader uh, of the project, and and uh, and Pam Williams, who worked with her, and of course uh, Lee Daniels. You know, yeah. it was a, some. It was a. A lot of people put a lot of passion into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we w- we would get killed if we did not bring up the Gilmore Girls. Like we have such a huge <laughs> fan base true. of Gilmore Girls. My girlfriend is a huge fan. I've been watched it like five times now because of her, and rightfully so. It's phenomenal, and we just got to talk about the chemistry you and uh, Paris there have. They're just phenomenal, and I love how you're also a screenwriter in the revival of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, that was uh, that was I thought very clever. Um, yeah, I mean, what an amazing thing to be a part of that show, which has just grown over the years. I mean, I feel like post Buffy and Gilmore Girls, I would get recognized, you know, eighty percent of the time for Buffy and twenty percent of the time for Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then something happens. Um, sorry, they're doing construction underneath me <laughs> in the apartment underneath. So sorry if there's any loud noise, but something happened, and I think what happened was just literally Gilmore Girls started airing on Netflix. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. And 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 uh, and then it just flipped. Yeah. And 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 the show has just grown and grown and grown. Um, and I feel like it is such a major part of TV history now. Um, it feels like it's bigger now than it ever was. Oh, absolutely. I would agree completely. It just, and I feel like it, it was at the disadvantage when it first started, you know, being on the WB before the CW, right. and it, it was hard to find at first. And now it's, yeah, I agree, a huge cult. cult. Uh, you and Liza were just, I mean, phenomenal. I mean, the, the whole yeah. character of Doyle was hysterical to me every time I watch it. Thank you. You know, I loved, um, I loved working with her. She is so cool. See, Paris was one of my favorite characters on the show. Yeah. Before I started dating her, you know, I just thought she was hilarious mm-hmm. and just a really gifted actress. And she's nothing like that in real life. You know, it's a pure character, right? Uh, that she does. I mean, Liza's just super cool. You know, she's just like this, like really cool person. Um, 
so the whole thing was um, uh, just just a wonderful experience. You know, everyone always treated me really great on that show. Mm -hmm. um, Alexis and Lauren and, you know, the Paladinos, Amy uh, and Dan. I view them as sort of, you know, surrogate aunt uncle. To, there you go. They're, nice. they're just the lovely people, and, and they've become so close um, over the years. That's fantastic, that, and that's good to hear that everybody's kind of close and everything. Because it comes across that way, and I mean, it's always good to hear stories like yeah, that. Yeah, it seems like a real family dynamic, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it, it was a wonderful experience. I'm so proud to be a part of it. Um, and I love uh, that you brought up Buffy. So it so it switched from Jonathan to Doyle at some point, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did. It was really kind of wild, and it happened over. A six-month period. That I, is so uh, crazy. I and I still get recognized for Buffy, but not to the extent that it was for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, uh, well, maybe it'll shift back now. There's rumors, right, that a Buffy re reboot or revisits in the in the works, maybe. So uh, you never know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, the two of them, they're such um, two of the most iconic shows of that era. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, it's so exciting to have been a part of both of them. And they were both... Uh, Beautifully written. I mean, just really, you know, Joss Whedon and Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino are just artists at the highest level. Um, Absolutely. Agreed. And, well, and and I got to tell you, it's not just that Mad Men justified. You were on some some huge shows, man, that, that you just pulled off phenomenal performances on. Um so I, I got to ask you, because you're such a, a gifted writer, you're also fantastic in front of the camera, you're a suit, you're a creative, where, where do you kind of, like, where's your area where you enjoy the most, or is it kind of an equal balance, or what do you prefer the most in all of the things that you do? Um, you know, everything's different. Mm-hmm. And it's they're all interrelated, but they're different skill sets, mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're different days, you know. So it's one thing to sort of talk about it from a perspective of looking at the work, right? Right. Uh, it's another uh, from the perspective of actually doing it. What that day is like when I'm acting, or when I'm writing, or when I'm directing, you know, or mm -hmm. producing. You know, it's it's um because that's what that's what that's what I'm actually doing. You know, Absolutely. that's what I'm actually living. And the, I think the writing schedule is is my favorite. Um, just days when I'm writing, it's also the hardest of all the jobs from mm -hmm. my point of view. Uh, I find writing the most challenging, um, and, and I do it less. You know, it's a four to five hour day. Mm -hmm. You know, and I wake up and I take my time, and then I go, I meditate a few minutes, and then I go sit myself down at a coffee shop and then I write for four or five hours and then I'm done. Right. And, and the four or five hours were very challenging and, and interesting and, you know, rewarding where acting, you show up and you're there for 14 hours and yeah. you're not doing stuff most of the day and you're just kind of sitting there and then you go do the scene and, um, and that's really cool. Right, uh, you know that makes it all worth it. Sure, I'm thrilled to be doing the scene, but it's it's a lot of you know my mind wants to be doing other things. Right, I'm like I wish. I, why am I not writing? I'm just sitting here all day. Right. You know? and I actually write on set now. Oh, that's um, cool. And then directing is intense. That is all encompassing. I mean, that is the same schedule as the acting. Um, although longer because actors can come and go during the day, but the director, you're there, you're first there 
you know, you're there till you wrap. Right. And, and it's it's like that's like running a marathon. Absolutely. Right. You know, you are working all day long, and it's really intense. Um, you're making decisions all day long. I, I I love it. It's it's incredibly rewarding. But I'm also perfectly happy when the shoot is done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you makes know? sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you ever see yourself trying to do the 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 old balancing act of directing and acting in your in your own picture? What do you think? I don't I don't know. I mean, I have never put myself in anything that I've written or directed or produced. Um, the only time that I was was in The Butler, and it was only because an actor dropped out at the last minute, and mm-hmm. so I was stepped in. Okay. You know, I was, I was literally just stepping in. <laughs> we lost someone. I don't know what it is, why I don't put myself in anything. Um, maybe there's, you know, I'm self-conscious about it, mm-hmm. or I don't want there to be a perception that I'm writing or directing to get myself acting work, even though at this right. point, I think I, I've made it clear that's the case. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm maybe a little self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, uh, I also, um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I also really like being hired as an there actor. It makes me yeah. feel good. Yeah. You know, like people still want me and they still want to hire me. So I, I, it, it's a little silly. And if I want to act in something that I wrote, I should just go do it. But, you know, nonetheless, that's sort of just my very honest answer of, of why I, I haven't yet. I love that answer. Yeah, uh, seriously, that that's a great answer. And I, I'll tell you what, one of the things that I really enjoy the most about your writing is dialogue. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, oh, it's, thank you. yeah, no, it, I think it's got to be one of the hardest things to do. Um, and and you do it brilliantly. You, you develop these character arcs and the backstories, and then the dialogue, and and it just it's one of my favorite reasons to watch projects that you're that you're involved in. Honestly, yeah, thanks. You know, it's it's so interesting. Um, we're, we're in such a hypercritical period, um, and there's and anything that sort of, I don't know, sticks out or, you know, isn't hypernaturalism, sometimes people jump all over it, and I find heightened dialogue, uh, you know, I, very entertaining and Absolutely. what I grew up on, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, and it's not, it's not all heightened, obviously, but... Um, so it's it can be it can be challenging. Um, it can be challenging uh, because there's just I don't know a, a lot of. Um, I'm always trying to find the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always trying to find the balance, and, and uh, but I'm glad. I'm, I'm. It's nice to hear that, that you like it so much. So maybe uh, tomorrow when I'm writing, I'll remember that. No. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Cool. That's right, man. (laughs) It's so true. And and, and I mean every word. You know, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy your work so much. Uh, So, so, okay. We we heard a story, and we've got to bring it up because I just think it's a fantastic story. Is it or is it not true that you used to spend a lot of your time as a kid hanging out with Quentin Tarantino at the video store? It's 100% true. (laughs) That's fantastic. That is fantastic. 100% true. I spent so much time with him at the video store that my nickname was Little Quentin. (laughs) And I'd come in and everyone would go, Quentin, Little Quentin's here. And I was 10 years old or no, I was like 11 or 12, but I looked like I was eight or nine. And I knew a lot about movies Mm -hmm. and he taught me a lot about movies and he recommended all these movies. You know, he was literally the greatest video store clerk in the history of video. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh, and that was sort of my uh, the beginning of my film education at, uh, at, a, at a very young age. Oh, that's fantastic. So how's he doing these days? No. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> I actually, um, he, it was, there was this really amazing moment, which was um, the Golden Globes, uh, Django, Unchained, and Game Change were in the same year. Right. And we both won. Mm. And we were at this after party holding our Golden Globes, and Quentin was just holding court. He's like, you don't understand, okay? <laughs> this is little Quentin, right? Oh, my gosh. This little Quentin's got a Golden Globe, okay? I mean, it's just, like, he, he, no one has been more amused right. uh, by, by my journey than, than Quentin. That's fantastic. And what a story to always have. You know, that exactly. that's, that is amazing. That That's fantastic. So what do you have coming up in the future? We were super stoked to see that they announced you're going to be in the right stuff coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. That just came out of the blue a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, phenomenal. Huge fan of Patrick J. Adams. I was a huge fan of the film, so I think this thing's going to be huge. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I, I had heard they were doing the right stuff. And, um, you know, a while ago, I don't know, five, six months ago when it was first announced, and I thought, what a terrific idea. That is a bullseye idea mm-hmm. for a limited series or an ongoing series. Absolutely. It's just telling the story of, you know, Project Mercury and going through Apollo, right? Yep. I mean, I just thought Home Run and perfect for Nat Geo. Um, and, uh, and then I didn't think twice about it. Uh, and then about two weeks ago, I got a call, and they just offered me the part of Shorty Powers, who was the PR rep for NASA. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought, well, A, who else is going to play Shorty? <laughs> with me. And then B, I mean, what a great part, <laughs> a great project. And I'm a big fan of Patrick as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a fast yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations. Could not be more happy that you're involved with that. You got the final season of Empire coming up, right? Final season of Empire. And um, we're working on that right now. You know, I have this project with, um, I have this project, it's a theater project, it's this, uh, it's a show called Chess, mm-hmm. it's a musical from the 80s that I rewrote, oh, and, wow. um, and we did it at the Kennedy Center last year, and, you know, we're trying to keep the show going, and the producer of it is Tom Holtz, who is Mozart and Amadeus, mm-hmm. you know, the great actor Tom Holtz, mm-hmm. and, um, Every time we talk, I just love this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not just a wonderful producer, which he is. He's a fantastic producer, but it's also Tom Hulse. Exactly. Know, like, it's just, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun working with someone that you're so excited to be talking to. Oh, man, that's fantastic. I'm already jealous. Amadeus, I love Amadeus, yeah. man. That was fantastic. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, guess. one of the great, I mean, the two of them in that movie are just two of the great film performances of all time Agreed. in the same movie. Agreed. Agreed. And then I've got a bunch of things in the hopper that I can't talk about, but uh, hopefully some of them will get made. Um, you know, I'm writing something, um, a limited series that I'm very excited about. Fingers crossed it, it gets greenlit. And then um, I have a TV company that, you know, which is what Proven Innocent came under was the TV company. And we're developing a whole slate of um, shows and uh, going to try and get them on the air. You know, it's a really exciting time in television. You have all these outlets. Right. You know, the streamers and the cable stations mm-hmm. um, and the networks, right? Everyone, and, and it seems that what is being successful now are things that are original and feel fresh and feel unique. And so it's really opened up the industry from the buyer side mm-hmm. to being um, you know, excited about not your typical cookie cutter, 
shows. Absolutely. Um, and that's a new, that's new. You know, normally to do something unique uh, was a major uphill battle, but now it's sort of uh, all ideas welcome. So yep. we have a, we have a fun slate and, um, you know, we're just beginning We're we're, we're a few months into it, but we're, we're excited and hopefully we'll get something going. Well, look, I, we could not wish you more luck on it and we hope it all works out because we're excited to see what you got. And, uh, you know, we're just, when you do, you got to come back on, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. You guys are great. Oh, well, listen, man, we really appreciate it. And look, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to us. Uh, like I said, huge fan for a long time. And we, we've got a lot of listeners that are huge fans. And we, we just, we could not thank you enough for coming on and joining us, man. Uh, my pleasure, guys. And best of luck with the podcast. I mean, uh, I feel like you uh, guys know exactly what you're doing. So I see good things, good things in your future. And, uh, Let's keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely, Definitely. man. Appreciate it. And uh, you have a great rest of the night. And, uh, again, thank you, sir. Take care, guys. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Yeah. Man, the one and only Danny Strong. Oh, my goodness, man. Right? We, yeah, just a straight-up guy. I so wanted to ask him about Robin. We'll have to do that on the next one. Yeah, you know, definitely. the boy wonder. But uh, yeah, just what a great guy, yeah, man. Seriously, even after all the success, even after being like under the wing of Quentin Tarantino, right, he's like, still a freaking just down to earth person. It's awesome to see how sometimes the industry does not change who you are. Yeah, just a straight up solid guy, man. Just ugh, awesome. Yeah, seriously. Awesome. Thank you again, Mr. Strong, for coming on the show.